we've been talking about this concept of foretold. If we can get these lights up like they're supposed to be, that would be great. Um, a call to remember what has been foretold about us, about the church, about his plans, rather than just focus on our past or even our present. You know, when we start a new year, everyone's kind of in the same rhythm of what are my new year goals? You know, what's a, what does God want to do for me in 2024? All those kind of things. But I think we need to set our eyes on where God wants to take us instead of trying to make our own ideals come to pass. Are y'all focusing on here with, with me? I don't know what's going on back here, but y'all need, need to pay attention to what I'm saying, okay? Foretold. To tell beforehand what is going on back here. Do I need to fire Jacob? <laughs> he said maybe. To tell beforehand of the coming of a future event by a process or a procedure. It's not I'm predicting something that might happen. Foretold is speaking an event now that will occur by means of a procedure. And procedures can be what God planned and God working things for our good that was not planned. There are things that happen that God never intended for you to walk through. And we need to stop blaming God for things that Satan brought about. We need to stop blaming God for things you brought about. Not everything you go through is the will of God, but he says, I can take anything you go through and get it back into the steps ordered according to my will. It is an announcement of not something that might happen, but something that will come. And the question for us, the question for the believer is, what do you do with that? Now, just to give you a quick little recap of what we've been talking about so that we can really grasp this idea the first week I talked about this idea that from present to promise, that we set our mind on things above, things on heaven, get your mind on the promises of God so that you can steward your present appropriately. The way you steward your present is not judging what's going on in my life right now. It's I'm stewarding my present according to the promise. So when something comes against you, you don't react to the thing. You set your mind on the promise so that the thing doesn't get you off the path, right? The second week, I talked about being rested in your authority. To rest means to be seated in who you are and whose you are. To be seated in who you are and whose you are. So much that conditions and warfare do not shake you to a point of restlessness. Rather, you're seated in such a way that you're not moved. I use the examples of the, the disciples in the boat where Jesus was asleep and the disciples were kind of navigating the boat and there was a storm. And the thing that the Lord showed me was that the most powerful picture of that, of that story is not just when Jesus got up and rebuked the storm, but that in the midst of the storm, he was still sleeping. Yeah. The storm did not cause him to get up from a, a place of rest. And there's so many times when we're in these places of rest or seated in what we're called to do and something happens and it causes us to start doing things. Oh, I got to do this. I got to change that. I got to move here. I got to do and, and the Lord's like, well, what, why are you letting a storm that will eventually pass move you from where you're called to be, right? There is an authority that was given to us that we are told about in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, that there is a government of God resting on the shoulders of Jesus and that this government would never end. We talk, well, I've said that, I've talked about that scripture for weeks and weeks and weeks, that a government will be on his shoulders and, and, the, and the, end of it, the, the authority of it will never end. The reason it will never end is because there will always be a remnant of people who are willing to submit their lives to walking in it. As long as we are submitted to walking in his government, it cannot end. And there will always be someone submitted to it. Right, The way to influence a culture to receive the name of Jesus is not to create great organizations called church where we dunk a lot of people in water and throw our stats up for people to celebrate. Let me get even more plain than that. There are numerous amounts of churches all across the United States 
large churches, small churches, churches that have thousands upon thousands, churches that have 10 and 15. And the problem is, in the midst of so many buildings filled, our culture is not being affected at all. That is not a bride walking in kingdom. Because when we walk according to our purpose with a government, then the flow from a government of we are submitted to a king not only is evident in the presence of God when we come together in worship, but it actually starts affecting our culture. Everything about the culture of America is kind of going in this backwards kind of direction of honoring anything that people want to do, right? It's like everyone has their own dream, their own goal, their own identity, and the culture is, hey, whatever you identify with, it's great. But we have to be a people that are so submitted to identifying in his plan for us that people will see that that is the better way. The, the idea that there are things going on in this world that try to affect our decisions, that try to affect our way of life, but we understand that no matter what we've gone through, no matter what's been passed down through our families, we are not of any bloodline other than a holy bloodline. Moving from a I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that to a I am seated in who I truly am despite the conditions that try to convince me otherwise. And the way to influence a culture to receive him is to, living, is to live according to a government that might not make sense so that the culture will see things work in your life that you can testify is due to a different government that you live according to. The kingdom of God is a life governed by him and a way of life in which you govern according to him. It is not just I believe in Jesus and he tells me what to do. It's I believe in Jesus and I govern my life in such a way where everything I touch is an act of worship. Everything I say is an act of worship. The way I respond to tough situations is an act of worship. So we move from this idea of how do I respond to validate myself to being arrested in validation with a king. And in order for his government to operate in you, in order to truly understand what authority is all about, we've got to understand our bloodline. And as we dive into this understanding of a new bloodline, I want to begin with what salvation actually gives you access to. Because I think we have watered down the idea of salvation. We think that salvation is all about where we end up when we die. But that's actually only a benefit. Salvation has a lot to do with what we're saved from and what we're saved for. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, someone say Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Leave that up there. You Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. He says, when you believed in Christ... Have you ever wondered why it doesn't say when you believed in Jesus or believed in Jesus Christ? Because there's actually a much deeper meaning to the idea of believing in Christ than just the idea that Christ is a last name or mark of Jesus. Another way to say this, when you believed in Christ, is when you recognize the anointing of the man Jesus as Messiah. Christ means anointed. So it wasn't just you believe that the things Jesus did happen. It's you received that there was anointing on a man, Jesus, that identified him as Messiah. Do you hear this? 
This is why some will see Jesus as just a prophet. And some see him as the savior and king of the world. Because some see the man Jesus and say he did great things. But others identify a Christ head over the man Jesus. Understanding that he was anointed by the father to accomplish his will. You receive the Christ head over Jesus. Is this making sense? Does this sound blasphemous? Okay, good. This is why I'm getting you to understand this. When you believed in Christ, when you believe in the anointing that the Father had over Jesus the man as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Holy Spirit identified you as his own, as his own and a seal was set, there was something put on you that qualified you for something. You didn't get qualified by your works or how good you do church. You qualify because in belief, Holy Spirit is now able to come on you and identify you because you're now qualified as worthy. And this new position, being identified in Christ, guarantees you something. Verse 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Not only have you been purchased from the chains of death, but with salvation from death, there is now access to inheritance that was promised on a people identified in the Christ head. Inheritance. It's eternal life. It's treasures in heaven. It's a day of peace. It's a place of dwelling with God. Can I push through your theology a little bit? We are so obsessed with getting into heaven, not understanding that we have equal access to dimensions of presence right now. Do you dare to believe that the presence of God you can experience coming together as a body or even your home is actually the exact same level of presence you can experience in the heavenlies? That is why he tells us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You don't have to wait for your body to die for your spirit to dwell. Let me go even further. In the garden... They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their spirit died, but their flesh didn't. Because they were eating from something that was not planted in the garden, but actually suspended in the midst that says that the trees are rooted in heaven. Right? In the same way in this earth, he says, I'm redeeming the spirit for you to reside here in your flesh, but be connected in a, in a true life-giving place of heaven on earth, which is essentially the Garden of Eden. See, people still try to search for a garden, not understanding that it's simply a dimension of a degree of, a degree of heaven on earth. See, see, we still search for a garden in the Middle East. I walk in a garden every day. It, it, it's, 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 I know this is pushing a little bit, and maybe this is like you know, too much for the first message of 2024, but you need to hear me. Every, everything about our lives, if we would submit to an act of worship of, Lord, do what you want through me, it will actually help you to become convinced of your place in heaven on earth realities. That's why Jesus wasn't shaken by a storm because he was in the earth, but he was seated somewhere else. Is this making sense? Not only have you been purchased, but there's an access to inheritance that was promised long ago. Eternal life, treasures in heaven, a day of peace, a place of dwelling with God, and an authority and government to live life by. You have heavenly benefits called an inheritance that you have access to not once your flesh dies, but right now. 
He promised these things. He promised power to be with us. And a knowledge that is above an earthly knowledge. And keys to turn that the common man cannot turn. There are, there are promises. These are all promises of ones who identify the, in the Christ of Jesus. Jesus Christ. But Ephesians 5.5 5 says, and I'm building, I hope you're, you're following. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Interesting. The kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of what you're anointed to do and of God. A greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. You cannot walk in an inheritance when you look nothing like the one you claim to believe. And a lot of us are not walking in our giftings because we're still convinced of a false identity of victims of the world. When we're actually victors and conquerors in the name of Jesus. Your character indicates the true Godhead in your life. So life shifts from trying to get qualified by how you live to letting how you live be the worship expression of being thankful for being marked and sealed in heavenly places. Is, is this, y'all tracking? Okay. If God's kingdom, his culture, his government is truly alive in you, then a transformation has had to have occurred and something that we're going through continually. And what the church has done a poor job of is convincing people that you're transformed if you get dunked. Dunked. In the water, baptized. Baptism is a powerful expression. But if you think it cleans everything up once you, you know, jump in a bunch of water, you've missed the point of what baptism is all about. Isn't it, it's an expression of something that you've actually already experienced. It, it, it is a symbolism of something that you are dying to old self and walking into new self. A transformation occurring. Paul, an apostle of Jesus, writes a letter to the people of Coloss, which is actually one of the smallest and least important cities that Paul ever wrote to. It's a book called Colossians. The problem in Coloss was a problem of doctrine. They were corrupting Christianity with mysticism, even legal Jewish practices. They were taking this idea, what Jesus brought, and they were saying, it's good, but we want to add some things to it, right? We want to put our own spin on it. We, wanna, we like our, our mystical ways, so we're going to put some mysticism in here. We like the Jewish practices, so we're going to put that in here. But, but they wanted to make sure that they were making sure that their culture that they've known superseded a new culture that he was bringing. And it says in Colossians 1, 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and all spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the what? Inheritance of the saints in the light. Lead that up. Paul says, we are praying for you to have knowledge of his will and true understanding. It wasn't that they were not full of knowledge. It was they had too much knowledge of everything but not much knowledge of his will. You see, sometimes you know so much that it blurs your decision-making process of what is the will of God. Let me say that again. Sometimes you know so much that it actually blurs your decision-making process of what is the will of God. That is why the fruit of the tree of knowledge caused us not to show up for the walk in the garden because we had knowledge of other options. I'm going to get really offensive. We miss Saturday gatherings because we have options. Wow. 
We miss moments of worship because we have options. We miss moments when you're at the grocery store and the Lord says, talk to that person, but you, but you had knowledge of what? Options. So, so, so you miss the opportunity because you, you have a different type of knowledge. You see, the, the, the people of Coloss, it says, we pray that you be filled with the wisdom of what God wants so that you will learn to walk in his way. We have become a people that have too much knowledge of everything. When the Lord says, I have actually given you all that you need. And you know what all that we need is? Presence. Just presence. Just presence. Y'all hear me? Just presence. Just presence. I'm going to say that again. Just presence. Like we come to church and we wonder how the, the order of service is going to be. You know what we have too much knowledge of? Options. And not a knowledge, enough knowledge of what? Presence. Like, could we get to a place where we have only a knowledge of his presence, where we're totally okay with just being on the floor, prostrate before God for hours and hours and hours, and not having the knowledge of what's the word tonight? Because all we care about is sitting in the presence of God. What, what has happened to the church where we come with a consumeristic mentality of what am I going to get from a Saturday night gathering? Instead of, I can't wait to get together with people who love God and just be in his presence. You see how much knowledge is an issue? And, 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 and it's tough because we're trying to break that mindset. I, I've talked about it for weeks, but the, the worship team, we, we have like... 15 songs in a PDF document and we don't know which one we're starting with until we start and we don't know which one we're going to or if, you know, like Jacob or Devin or Jessica or Heather, if they start singing some other song that we didn't plan and then we got to make up chords along the way to kind of make sure it sounds right, trying to figure out what we're doing because we're not trying to have a set list. We're trying to say, what is the expression going? Have you noticed that when, when we're getting deeper and deeper into it, there's no lyrics on the screen? Because the songs that like Jacob was singing tonight, it's not a song. It was an expression in the presence. And it sounded like a planned song. Maybe we should write it. I don't know. But this, are we willing to go there? House, house gatherings. Are we willing to go to a place in our house gatherings where we're not coming to discuss the sermon, but we're coming to just worship with a group of people in a living room for a couple of hours? I don't think y'all heard that because, you know, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I like those people, but, but, but God does. So, so, we, we, so we, we come together and we say, wait a minute, if there's power and agreement and unity, heck yeah. Am I getting too, too? Okay. Listen to this. He says, you're made right, people of God, to partake in inheritance. But you cannot partake of an inheritance when you live like the ones who've got knowledge of all the darkness. It says in 13, verse 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his what? Blood, the forgiveness of sins. It says we're delivered from darkness. The word, uh, delivered from the power of darkness. The word for power is literally translated authority. We are delivered from an authority of darkness. We are delivered of any governing authority that is not God. Hear me. You are delivered from any governing authority that is not God. And we inherit traits and, and from our parents and preferences from our bloodlines that are not always a positive influence on ourselves. We acquire sinful habits. We acquire sinful beliefs based off how we grow up that negatively affect our lives. We can even inherit generational curses from our bloodline. I've taught this before, but... In Isaiah 53, 5, it says he was wounded. This is amazing. It's Isaiah. He's talking about what happened before it happened. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 
What was foretold? That we would be healed through the process of wounds and bruises. Wounds are external, right? Like, like I've, got, I've got scratches on my arms because, you know, in, in my newly buried life, there's these things called dogs. It's, 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 just, it's, just out, ow, it's just outside things, right? It's, 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 it's wounds. And what the Bible says, he was the outside, he was wounded for transgressions. He was wounded on the outside for the things that you would do. But there's an inward thing that causes the things you do. So it says he was bruised. What's a bruise? It comes from the inside for our iniquities. The word iniquity simply means to be bent towards something. You were, the scripture says you were born into iniquity. So you were born bent towards something already. You, you, you ever heard of babies that are born into addiction? It's an iniquity, Right? They're taking on the sins of the mother or the father, if you will. Mom and dad drank, so they're born alcoholics, if you will. It's inic- they're bent toward it by no choice of their own. And what Jesus says, he says, I saved you from the bent. Y'all hear this? And some of us are giving into the life of still being bent Not understanding that when you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're delivered from the power or the authority of a government called generational curses. And any other government. So the stuff that you were born into and the stuff you were grown up with and the sins of your fathers, fathers, fathers and mothers, mothers, mothers and all that stuff. When you said yes to Jesus, all of that stuff went like this. And now you choose to walk free or in a lie called bent. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, there, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That power was given to you as part of your inheritance in Christ. You have entered into this position of authority because you're in him. You Listen to this. You are no longer a part of any other bloodline. You are a part of a new bloodline. I, I know Christmas is over, but I want to draw attention to this because Scripture is good. It's not seasonal. <laughs> look, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Jesus... The seed could not come from a man. It had to come from a divine nature so that there would be no corrupt what? Bloodline. He was of a pure bloodline because it was the seed of God that gave him life. And when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, not only are you saved from eternity in hell, but you're saved from corrupt bloodlines. And that salvation sets you up not just for a promise of heaven, but limitless opportunities. You're saved from any limit defined by man. You're saved for a divine nature. You're saved for a divine nature that carries the very attributes of God. You are saved for divine nature that you do not have to operate according to the laws of this world. The laws of God. 
that, that, that is why we see stupid things like, he, stupid as in where did that come from? Healings. That's why we experience deliverance. That's why we can learn to walk in freedom despite our environment. Because we understand that we are with a different nature, a divine nature, a nature that supersedes the natural. That is why he is supernatural. You can no longer use the excuse of your iniquities or your strongholds as to why you live in your sin. Well, I just can't escape it. That's why you're not. Because you're coming into agreement with an authority that is actually less than the authority that you actually walk in. You want to know why so many people walk in sin and walk in and all these um, uh, 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 addictions, and, and you, want, you want to know why people walk in habits. You want to know why we're, we're walking as people that are victims, because we don't understand where we are truly seated. Those authorities do not supersede yours. That is why over and over the scripture says, be renewed with your mind, because you've got to start thinking differently. Because if you don't start thinking differently, you're going to live according to a corrupt bloodline that's not even there. Is this helping y'all? Look, look, it. Greater power saved you from the powers of this earth. You have been delivered from all governing authorities. And now you're governed by one. The goodness of God. And yet we still say things like, I can't walk in that because I haven't proven myself. I can't walk in my giftings. I'm new to church. I can't walk in what God has called me to do. You don't know what I had to clean up in my personal life. You just called the law more powerful than the grace that fulfilled it. You know what grace does? Even though you have not gotten law all right, grace says, I will allow you to walk as if it is. Grace is not, I've saved you, go live like hell until your flesh passes. Grace is, even though you don't measure up, the moment you say yes to the anointing of God, you measure up. And you can tell the thankfulness of what God did for you through the grace of Jesus by whether or not you're walking and an authority that supersedes our natural. Because you start to understand, oh, I go by a different government. Like, like Christians believe in favor, but then like we look at the markets and we judge our favor according to the world's market. You know, like, oh, I can't do that because of the trends in the marketplace. And God's like, wait, 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 wait. You're governing according to that authority? If I've told you to walk, get your eyes off of that and get your eyes on me. Christians are so shaken by all governments of the earth. We get shaken by presidential elections. We get shaken by gas prices going up. Right? We get shaken by uh, people backstabbing us. We get shaken by gossip. We get shaken by slander. Do you realize that none of that has any authority over you? But the moment you agree with it, the reason it gets authority is because it feeds off of what? Your agreement. <laughs> you are of a new bloodline. You are reborn of an incorruptible seed. First Peter. Look at chapter 1, verse 17. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Y'all hear that? He's saying, I have a time for you, so conduct it, in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without what? Spot. Why does it tell us that the Lord is coming back looking for a spotless bride? Because we are the new bloodline that is spotless and without blemish. But what the church has done is we, if we, we have become convinced of we've got to get our spots cleaned up. It's not that you have to clean up spots. It's that you need to walk in the truth that you have no spots, which goes through a process that may look like cleanup. But you're no more clean now than you will be in 10 years. You're, you're clean. Removing spots is more about getting your reality in line with truth. So I, I, so when you have this thing that I can't just get over this, I, I can't get free from this thing, I can't get free from this addiction, I can't get free from this habit, wrong, you already are. But I can't get free is the handcuffs of your mind giving in to a spot that's actually no longer there. Is this, is this helping? Stop living your life according to things that don't exist. You're free. You're free by the blood of Jesus. You're on a new bloodline. You're not corrupted anymore. So stop trying to prove yourself when Jesus has already proven yourself for the Father. It's just, look, it says in verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. We have been in last times since he came in time. Y'all hear that? We have been in last days for thousands of years. 2,000 and, you know, 24. It says he was foreordained or foretold to be the redemption of a corrupt bloodline. We talk about this all the time, that a seed produces after its own kind. You sow an apple seed, you get an apple tree, right? Hopefully. If you don't, you're doing something wrong. In the same way, he could not get a spotless bride without sowing a seed of a man without spots. Why did you become spotless? Because a seed was sown called the spotless lamb. He had to be given so that we could be identified as spotless. That is why the blood is so, so powerful. It goes on in 21. Who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but you have been born of something that's incorruptible. You cannot be corrupted through the word of God which lives in abides forever. When you realize you're born again in a new bloodline, the sins of your father and your mother are no longer legitimate curses on you because he breaks not just the curse of death, but he breaks every single curse. He even breaks the curses that you speak over yourself. I can't ever do that. You just curse yourself. But the glory of God says, seek me because in me that thing you spoke cannot survive. It has no authority. I can't do this. I, I get sick and tired of having conversations with people who say, I can't. Open your eyes. You've been delivered from the can'ts. Limitless potential because you are of a spotless bloodline. Well, that's just not who I am. Wrong. You don't know who you are. Look at the stories in the Bible over and over with Jesus re-identifying people. Simon, Peter, Saul, Paul. They were walking in a false identity. 
and that they were consumed with, the, with their own beliefs and the I can'ts, and the Lord's like, no, no, come, come to me. In me, this bloodline that's been tarnished, I'm going to purify it. The word for incorruptible, when it says that we're not born of corruptible seed, but we're born of incorruptible seed, uh, it's, it, it's, it actually means imperishable or undecaying. You are born into something that does not decay. In other words, you're born into an identity that is forever. But warfare tries to convince you of decay and blemish. You know what the, the, the most intense warfare? It's not seeing demons. The most intense warfare is you actually believing you can do something. The most intense warfare is you actually believing that you walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. This may, this may be too much, but let me say it like this. If you think the length of your prayers move God, then you don't understand the authority in one word. People interceding for hours has, has nothing to do with convincing God of something. Interceding or praying before God, interceding on behalf of others, is simply Holy Spirit led of going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Or if God has you in one thing, maybe he wants to expound on it, but it is not convincing. You know, we're actually about to start in February. We're going to have classes from now until whenever. It could be two years. It could be two months. It could be five years. Sundays at five, we're going to be teaching on prayer and intercession. Because a lot of us don't understand what prayer is. Like, like when you pray the same thing over, God, please do this. God, please do this. God, please. He heard you the first time. Who are you trying to convince, him or yourself? And the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's yourself. If you understand who you are in Christ, the moment you said, Lord, will you, or Lord, let this be, it went out into the atmosphere. And intercession and warfare is not letting the circumstances of your life convince you that it was done in vain. Every church almost in the United States in January does a 21-day fast. Nothing wrong with 21-day fast. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. I'm not speaking against that. I have a lot of pastor's friends who are doing 21-day fast. I would never tell them it's wrong. But I want you to hear me what the point of a 21-day fast is. God did not tell Daniel fast for 21 days. It's actually inappropriate to call a 21-day fast a Daniel fast. It's illegal. I'm going to say that. In the name of Jesus, it is illegal in the kingdom of God to call it the Daniel fast. This is what Daniel did. Daniel needed something specific. So it says, he fasted until. And he, he prayed and he fasted and he prayed and he fasted and just happened to be on the 21st day. The answer broke through the heavens and got to him. And then it was explained for 21 days, it was battling through uh, principalities of, the, uh, of the, the Prince of Persia, I believe it was called. Um, it was a principality over the region that was trying to move the answer from heaven to earth. Here's the key. God heard and gave him the answer on day one. But it took 21 days to move it from a, from, from a heaven reality to a heaven on earth reality. So it's not, God, you haven't heard me, please do it. It's, I am bringing this thing down and I will not stop interceding until it gets down. There's war going on in the heavenlies and you don't, God, please, did you hear me? Did you put, no, no, no. It's, it's, I'm speaking this as truth until it moves from a heavenly experience to a heaven on earth experience. That is the point of a fast. That is the point of warfare. It's not God, I need you to understand what I need. It's the moment I ask God, the answer was somewhere, and now I'm going to move it into my reality. We do not wage war as humans do. We, we fight with principalities. Prayer is your warfare of moving answers from an unseen place to a seen place. It's not begging God. 
It's getting your mind aligned in the right way. I don't know why I'm going into this. Is this does this help anybody? That is that is what it is. There is no such thing in the Bible as a gift of intercession. We're all called to intercede. See, I got looks because for years we're taught that in the, in the charismatic circles. There's a gift of intercession. No, we're gifted for people that understand what intercession is. We're all called to intercede. Well, I don't have time to intercede. You don't have to be on the floor for eight hours to intercede. I intercede when I'm driving through Southbridge picking up trash. Jesus. No, but in all seriousness, whether I'm driving my truck, listening to praise and worship, listening to a sermon, cleaning a floor, wiping a table, I am in a mindset of intercession all day. Are there people blessed to do it in corporate agreement? Absolutely. But you need to understand, we have got to get out of these laws that are not set by God and understand that all this is a, is a way of living and renewing your mindset of how to live. I mean, the strongholds in the church. We teach kids, in order to pray, you bow your head and close your eyes. And as adults, when someone prays with their eyes open, you question the validity of their prayers. Where in the Bible does it ever say, close your eyes to get before the heavens? I... I what I'm doing, I'm trying to kill some sacred cows. What prayer is is simply, I'm cooking breakfast and, Lord, what do you want me to do today? That's prayer. It's not, you know what, I need to spend money and turn my closet into a prayer room. Your prayer room is wherever you walk. I'm not speaking against prayer rooms, just... Making sure we understand that. How do you fight? You speak truth over yourself in a moment. I am of a bloodline that cannot be corrupted. Like when you want to respond to someone, and it's not going to be the most Christ-like way, you have to remind yourself, I'm I'm not of that bloodline. I'm of a new bloodline. Right? We... We have got to understand that we are of a new bloodline that is spotless. Which means whatever God wants to do through you, you are made right for him to do it. Not, I'm going to get right one day, right now. Well, Kyle, I've got some things to work through. But you're right. You're spotless. No, you don't, you don't know my, no, I don't need to know your life if you're a believer. You are spotless. Your warfare is believing it. I'm seeing more agreements from some of the kids in here than the adults. You're getting it, aren't you? Yeah, you, right there. Young man, you're getting it. And I I, I just speak over you like whatever, yeah, you, whatever you're receiving in this moment, whatever God's telling you, it's he wants to do it and you're good enough for him to do it. Do you hear me? Is, is, am, I on, am I on something? There's something that he's given you. Don't, don't second guess it. Just say yes to the Lord. Okay? Um, Ephesians 2. Can I keep going? Okay. I haven't said is this okay one time. <laughs> Ephesians 2.11. Don't forget, I, y'all, this right here. If you've got any religion in you, this is going to shake it up a little bit right here. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. 
once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Why? It's a new bloodline. You've been brought to him through a new bloodline. Now watch this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. I'm just going to pause right there. So if you are still under the religious proclivity that Jews are the chosen people, you haven't read this passage. Because there is no more people that God sees as Jews. Let me keep reading for those of you that are looking at me like I'm wrong. I'm not. Look, it says, where am I at? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in him one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our help and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Early Christians actually identified themselves as what they called third race or new race. Because they no longer identified as Jews, they didn't identify as Gentiles, they didn't identify as Christians, they didn't identify as Messianic Jews. They simply said, we are a people that believe in God, that believe in the Messiah. There was no separation of Jew and Messianic Jew and Christian and this. No denominations, no beliefs. It was just simply, they were one new creation. One. Where we need to get in a kingdom culture is when we look across the room. There are so many... Uh, um, Age groups, nationalities, uh, people from hard lives, easy lives, poor, wealthy, just in this room. And you know what the Lord says? He, he, does, he doesn't see uh, white people. He doesn't see black people. He doesn't see uh, uh, Hispanic people. You know what he sees? Oh, this is a new race. And when we start to regard each other according to how he sees us, we will, we, it, racism ends because we no longer see race. We see new race. If you want to get even, even more deep, the, the separation of generations would end. It, it's, it's no longer, you know, we have, um, yeah, yeah, we no longer have to say we need a youth or college ministry because we simply are ministry together. If you want to go further in it, the best place for teenagers to grow is to be paired up with someone who has some life experience. I don't know why I'm on this. But I feel like we need to understand that we are a people that are identified in one thing, and that is the bloodline of Jesus himself. We're different. We're one. I'm not sure what you said, but amen. <laughs> it's got to be good. Look, the only way strongholds are going to break is to realize we are of a new identity in Christ. A new identity as anointed because of a new blood. And new blood responds to a familiar voice of the Holy Spirit. Why is there a gift of tongues? Oh, some of y'all looked up. <clears throat> because there is an inner yearning to a familiar voice that the man doesn't know, but the blood does. An interpretation is not your understanding. It is a gift for God to interpret something that you will never be able to. Because it, it, it's, it, it's calling out to the new man, the new identity, the new bloodline. 
You want, to know, you want to know why you can lay hands on the sick and heal them? Because you're not laying hands on someone of this world. You're laying hands on them as an ambassador from heaven. And this new man and this new identity was even foretold. In Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. A new race of people, a new bloodline, a people was foretold to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And there's a blessing for the earth poured out through a people. And it was all coming after he went to a land that God had for him called Canaan. Canaan in the Hebrew, Manuah, is translated resting place. When you enter into the resting place, your place of authority, you understand that you were adopted into a new spotless bloodline. It goes on in verse 7 to say, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give you this land to your descendants. Abram built an altar dedicated to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let me tell you, anyone redeemed in the blood of Christ is grafted into a nation of a people that have rights to this land, Canaan, rest. When you find yourself in any other state than rest, you'll find evidence of where you're seated in that moment. You need to wake up to your bloodline and get seated and don't be moved. What's even greater, Canaan is not one place. It says in Romans 4.13, God's promises to give the, the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. It does not say God's promise to give Canaan to Abraham. It says God's promise to give the whole earth to him. How? A bloodline. You see, the fact of the matter is, we get so hung up on the, the promised lands in the Old Testament and, the, and we, we want to, oh, I, I want to go visit the promised land one day. And we have made the Bible and the, the, the breakthroughs of the supernatural through the bloodline of Jesus Christ, we've made it into a history book where we can visit. You are Israel and you walk in a promised land called Canaan. You don't have to go see it. Because you see it every day. Or do you still live according to a different race or a different bloodline? You are of a new bloodline. You're soaking this up. The Lord, the Lord is speaking something to you tonight, isn't he? Yeah. Whatever he's saying, you just all you have to do is receive it. Like, Lord, I received this, and I'm going for it. Yeah, that, amen. You got it. You got it. She, she, she just said, I receive it. That, that reminds me of when, when Jesus looked at the, the centurion, and Jesus said, I'll come to, you, to the home. And the centurion said, no, 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 no. You ain't got to come. Just speak a word. You know what she just did? She spoke a word. And where that word is going to lead you, amen. <laughs> it, a new, you're of a new bloodline. Nothing can, no, nothing can stop you because the Lord is behind you. He's your strength. I've only got two more passages and I'm going to end. i got to get all this out. I've waited two weeks. <laughs> in Galatians 3 it says in verse 28, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one. You're one. And now that you belong to Christ, if you ever need to tell people why women can preach, go to this passage. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. 
You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Why does God's promise to Abraham belong to you? Because you're of a new bloodline. You're heirs of the promise. We have no right to be in any other place other than rest. And if you have not entered into rest, I have to ask you, are you following God into promise? Or are you still like the people in the days of Moses, wandering around a promised land for 40 years, when it's just a moment away? All he needs is your agreement. All he needs is your yes. I close with this tonight. <clears throat> Mark 16. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. The disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. This is what I want to draw your attention to. You can leave that up there. In order for something to be confirmed with miraculous signs, it must first be spoken. God does not preach. He's giving us the authority to do it. God will not lay hands on the sick. He will bring the healing. But you and I as believers must lay hands on the sick by faith, believing that God will perform his word. It's a flow. You may say, I, I would love to be able to lay hands on my, my cousin who has cancer or my, my, you know, my, my, my friend that's on a deathbed or whatever it is. I, I want to lay hands on them. But I ask, have you walked in the authority of the word where the word is, is preceding what you're praying for? Do you realize that these disciples, when they were healing people, it flowed from their posture of their relationship. But let's get real. Like Jesus looked at Peter one day and said, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus didn't say, you got to get some things right before you get back in this disciple group. He handled it, called it, and said, now let's keep walking. And Peter was one of the ones that preached the first sermon. And many got saved that day. He was just simply being obedient to one idea. He's like, you know what? I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not Jew. I'm not Gentile. I, I am of a new bloodline. And I'm not going to be governed by the wavering weed that I've been known as, the back and forth person that can't make a decision. In that moment, he said, I'm giving the word of God. I know who I am. I know where I'm seated. I know where my bloodline is. And it's not in how I grew up. It's not in what was given to me. It's I am identified in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> We've spoken all these words over 2024, and I believe they're going to happen. But they're going to happen when we as a people understand who we are. New bloodline. His power flows to an incorruptible blood. And I just want to speak that over you tonight. That you are of a new race, of a new culture. You're the children of God. I want to encourage you in 2024 to remember that you are reborn of incorruptible seed. We're going to get some things wrong, sure. We're going to make some mistakes, sure. But don't think for a second that your mistake is more powerful than the governing dynamics of Jesus Christ. There's no more waiting. It's yes. That's what I want to encourage you with tonight. Walk out of here understanding that you are under a new bloodline, a new way. Understand that he's pleased with you just by understanding that one simple thing, that I am made new. Not for when your flesh dies, but right 
now. When you understand that, it helps you push through everything. Let's stand. We're going to leave this place open for you. I want to draw your attention to a few things. There's communion over here to the left and right. Maybe you need to take some time with God and make some promises, make some commitments, ask for forgiveness from the Lord, and you want to seal it with the body and the blood that's for you. And we say this every week, but we ask for conversations to move to the foyer when I say Amen. This place is reserved for you to do business with God. If you need to take some time to pray, if it takes you the next six hours, we're going to keep it open. If it takes you 10 minutes, that's okay too. If you need someone to pray with, I encourage you to just come stand up here and someone will pray with you. But this is a time for you to simply to say, before I leave tonight, I'm going to leave knowing that I am of one bloodline, and that is the bloodline of Jesus Christ and you're good, and he's pleased with you, and he loves you. We're going to see a move of God in this city. But we got to stop waiting for something to just happen in a, in a moment from heaven. We have to realize that we are the ones calling down heavenly realities right now. Our voice is the authority that God is wanting to release new things into this region and break curses. The enemy has no authority. Your past has no authority. Someone needs to hear that. Your past has no authority on your present. You are redeemed and you are free and he wants you to start walking with him and what he's called you to do. Lord, whatever it is you need to speak, I pray in the whispers of who you are, that no one leaves here tonight questioning. No one leaves here tonight confused. That we all leave here knowing that we are yours and that you're ready to do something in us and through us, not for our glory, but yours, God. I call out to gifts that have been lying dormant and I say, wake up. I speak to dreams that have been thrown away and visions that have been thrown away and I say, come forth. Let your people, God, see clearly what you have put over their lives. Tonight starts a, a path of walking into divine purpose, into predestined purpose, that all paths become straight right now and we start walking. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. This place is open for you. Just be respectful of people taking their time with God. I love you guys. See you next week.